1: Welcome back everyone to another episode of The Podcast Was Good, a podcast by the Crimson Coy Network. Been a little bit of a long delay with the way we had the podcast come out and whatnot, but it was finals week, there wasn't a lot to talk about really anyway, so took a little bit of an extended break, but we're here and there is plenty to talk about because of that break. A lot of personnel moves, uh, which I'm sure everybody's heard about. We'll discuss Fred Glass, De DeBoer with the football team. Um signing signing day, just a lot of things uh off the court going on or off the field, off the court, off off the diamond, everything. So we'll talk about all that before we get started. As always, if you guys can leave us a rating and review. Um I always want to say iTunes, but I guess iTunes doesn't exist anymore I'm, on the podcast Apple Podcast, I guess, is what it is now. So if you guys can leave a, a rating and review, that's always super helpful, and we, we really appreciate it. Uh, but we're going to jump in, because like I said, we have a ton of stuff to talk about and a ton of really big stuff, because we're going to start off with news that was uh, pretty surprising, uh, I think would be an understatement. But um, Fred Glass announced, uh, I believe Monday, that uh, he'd be stepping down Um it kind of came out of nowhere, and there wasn't really any indication that this was going to happen. I guess what was your, uh, your first thought whenever you uh, heard that he was stepping down?
0: Um, I, I woke up to a notification on my phone that said that Glass was out, and I said a handful of words that uh, I can't stay on this podcast without some sort of scrubbing, I'm sure. Huh. Um, frankly, I was completely blindsided. Uh, I I wasn't really sure what to make of it. I didn't really expect it to come. Uh, I thought that if any kind of administrator in Bloomington was going to announce their retirement this academic year or or after it would be University President Mike Garabi, I wasn't expecting to be the one to go first, per se. So. Honestly, it was just a, a bit of shock, a bit of okay, I need to gather as much information as possible right now. Um interesting interesting morning for uh, me personally.
1: Yeah, it was it was a lot of the same here. It was um uh, surprise. Um like you said, the idea that McRobbie would step down was one that um most people assumed would happen first. So for it to be, uh, for it to be Fred Glass, the first one to go is, was really surprising. Um, I know a lot of people have tied kind of his legacy, Indiana, as much as we joke, Indiana obviously is a basketball school, that's been the one bugaboo we've talked about, or that's been the one bugaboo on his resume, which we'll talk about here in in a few minutes, but When you kind of look back on his tenure at IU, um, what do you see as his legacy as IU's athletic director?
0: I think that what Fred Glass did was he came in at a point in time where IU's athletic department wasn't really doing a whole lot just completely as a group. And what he was able to do was he was able to provide stability and not just that, he was able to build as well. I, I think that he was a tremendous builder um, during his time at the, the top of the athletic department. Uh, he built up so many programs. Um, just, just really helped to kind of create IU athletics as we know it now. Which I, I think that you know I, there are certainly going to pe- be people who have their issues with Fred Glass, but I I don't think that I really have one. I think that he was fantastic, and I think that whoever comes in next is going to have very large shoes to fill. I think that that's his legacy.
1: Yeah, there will always be uh, kind of the detractors. I've seen a couple. um, I saw a couple in the wake of Fred Glass's decision, but honestly, in my opinion, he was terrific in his time. Um, he did a lot of things, a lot of positive things. I think the one thing that, that's always stuck out to me that he's done was the student athlete Bill of Rights, um, which at the time was, I don't know that unprecedented. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I don't know that unprecedented was, uh, uh, that might be too strong of a word, but it was certainly something that nobody was really doing, and really a lot of schools haven't done it since, um. That's always a big thing I thought of, and I think that's a, to me, a pretty good summation of, of the type of athletic director he was, the type of person he was. Honestly, um, you mentioned all the all the the programs and the teams that did well under him. The one that hasn't is the one that everybody's going to point to. Um, when he came in, he came in when the men's basketball team was at the lowest it maybe has ever been. Um, it was interesting to hear him talk about Tom Crean during his kind of press conference um, when he announced he was resigning. But how much of a – I don't even – how much does the men's basketball team struggle kind of way down on everything else he was able to accomplish?
0: I'm going to put out a, a controversial take possibly here among certain pearl clutchers hmm. in the IU community. Um, I'm going to say that the, the I'm making air quotes, this is an audio media, I'm making air quotes with my fingers, uh, the, 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 the struggle of the IU men's basketball program during Glass's tenure that included multiple Sweet 16 appearances, multiple Big Ten titles, you know, countless, players, yeah. kids, or, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that struggle, I don't think, really puts much of a blemish on what he was able to do. Um, now, given I don't put a heavy weight on the IU men's basketball program, I, I realize that it's so historic. It's, you know, it, it's a big deal. Indiana is a basketball school and a basketball state. But I, I wasn't born in Indiana. I didn't grow up wearing candy-striped pants. I, I lived in the state for a decades. My first year of really paying attention to the my freshman year on campus, five years ago now. So, I I mean, sure. It's not great that the program didn't win national championships or return to greatness. Tom Crean didn't take us back to greatness, famously. (laughs) Um, But I, I think that when you look at what Fred Glass's Hoosier Athletic Department did accomplish, it's just so much. I, I mean, the Indiana football program is light years ahead of where it was when Glass was appointed director of athletics. I, I, you look at the uh, lesser, well, non-revenue programs. You, you look at the volleyball and wrestling programs, both have a new on-campus home. Both are you know, getting bigger and bigger recruits every year. Both are just steadily building up and becoming more relevant within the Big Ten and across the nation. Um, you look at the baseball program Fred Glass uh people know that I'm more a baseball guy than anything else Fred Glass was probably the most progressive Big 10 athletic director in terms of supporting his baseball program um, the Big 10 isn't necessarily the the SEC or the Pac 12 or the ACC where you know baseball is a big deal uh it's not like you know going to you don't go into to East Lansing and expect the same kind of experience at a baseball game that you get in, say, Gainesville or, you know, uh, L- or, uh, Fayetteville. Um, so, what Fred Glass was able to do to support the IU baseball program was tremendous in helping to construct Bart Kaufman Field, in, you know, replacing Tracy Smith, doing a great job of that, and then replacing the replacement that he hired and knocking it out of the park again. Um, and just continuing to help build and be progressive in that way. Uh, he also hired a guy you might have heard of named Todd Yeagley. Now, that wasn't necessarily a difficult choice to make because uh, you know Todd Yeagley was, might have been born into the job, uh, probably had the best resume of anybody, and it wasn't even close when the job came open. But he did, and Todd Yeagley's won a national championship, He's continued the success of the IU men's soccer program, which continues to be one of the elite of the elite in the nation year in and year out. So, of course, the swimming and diving program is still thriving. And, you know, you've got conference champions in track. And it is if you look at the, the, the 24 sports, one team model as an athletic department, it's so hard to say that, you know, Fred Glass didn't, have a, a very great period of success as an athletics director because there was just so much good happening during his tenure across so many different sports. Um, sure, men's basketball didn't hang banner sticks. You know what? That might not happen anytime soon, uh, no matter who is the athletic director. So I'm not going to put a big damper on what was a pretty darn good tenure for Fred Glass because I'm mad that Tom Creams only won two Big Ten titles and made two Sweet Sixteens.
1: You nailed pretty much every point I was going to say. I was very well said, and and really, exactly how I feel about it, um, I understand, I did grow up in Indiana, I understand the the weight people put on men's basketball, but to... I don't want to say discredit, but to put that much weight on him, on Fred Glass's tenure, because men basketball didn't get a sixth banner, would be unfair considering all of the things that you, you listed that he's done for every other program. Um, there's multiple new facilities that were created under him a, a new baseball field that's gorgeous, a cook hall was, was under him. Um, so many things. They've renovated the football stadium, I think, multiple times under Fred Glass. Um, and it looks incredible now. To, I, I'm in the same boat with you where I, I think a little too much weight is put on the men's basketball team's success. So to knock him really almost at all for um, not getting Banner 6 when Banner 6 has been... Sought after for 30 years now. Um, I don't think that's fair to to Fred Glass, and really negates a lot of other really great things he did in his time. Um, and you mentioned I I think one uh, one last thing that's worth pointing out is all of the great hires, with few exceptions, very few exceptions, all of the great hires he made across multiple sports. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned baseball. Nailing, nailing the hires multiple times. Soccer. And uh, we'll talk about it here in a little bit, but Terry Morin has been incredible for the women's basketball team. Um, another hire that he's absolutely nailed. And, and the women's basketball team is in the midst of its best season ever um, as, he, as he leaves. And he was someone that really pushed that as well in recent years. They The women's NIT basically is pay to play and he shelled shelled out money the whole way last season uh, or two seasons ago, I believe, um, for that team to win the the women's NIT and really have a memorable postseason um, that not all athletic directors or programs may have done. So I think he leaves a tremendous legacy and like you said at the beginning of this, Really big shoes to fill um, for whoever steps in i don't I haven't looked up I don't know really um, anyone who might replace him do you uh, have you looked up at all i I don't even know that I have any ideas as to who may step in
0: uh, I'm not particularly sure about you know specific candidates I, I think that you know we've talked about a couple of different guys just, you know, in, in Slack and whatnot. But, you know, it was kind of, we talked about it maybe for a day and then moved immediately on to the next thing because, you know, we, we didn't have much time to, to sit with the whole Fred Glass thing before the De DeBoer thing came up.
1: Which is a perfect segue into our next topic. You're welcome. De uh, DeBoer. Not entirely unexpected, but has taken the job as head coach at Fresno State, where he came from, Um, has ties there, obviously, Um, and once the job opened up, it was a fear of many that that might be where he landed, Um, so not entirely surprising that he went back there. we used the word legacy to talk about Fred Glass. There isn't much of a legacy in one year, but what kind of impact did uh, did the boy have on this football team? I know we talked about him a lot on on this podcast.
0: I, I think that, frankly, he had the biggest possible impact that he could have had in one season. Uh, l- literally, he he pumped life back into the the Indiana offense on um, the. The difference between Mike DeBoer's offense and Kalen DeBoer's offense with many of the same players was, frankly, night and day. Um, numbers were up across the board. Uh, Peyton Ramsey went from being a dud to a stud. Um, just Kalen DeBoer will be much, much missed. Uh, his impact was enormous in Bloomington despite the short time that he was here.
1: A lot of times when you have someone as bad as Mike DeBoard, whoever the next person is looks tremendous just because it was so bad um, prior. Even with that in mind, (laughs) uh, Kaylin DeBoard was incredible this season. Um, I think the biggest thing you said is his kind of, what he was able to do with pretty much the same talent that DeBoer had, um, he was able to to turn Peyton Ramsey into someone that made pretty much everyone eat their words on on, uh, on him as a player, us included. Um, I think that's one of the biggest signs of, of how much talent he has um, and what he was able to do with this team. Under DeBoard, I was trying to pull up the stats uh, relative to the league, but Indiana average um four hundred and forty four yards of total offense um i guess as it as it stands right now, his last game was stuffing purdue into a trash can um which a tremendous way to go out, but the possibility remains um that he could coach in the bowl game. he did a interview um I believe on Tuesday, and said that he wants to coach uh, in the Gator Bowl. Uh, He said it was a special team to be a part of um, and that he would see in the next couple days if that was logistically even possible. Um, So that would be a really fun story, I think, Uh, a fitting farewell for what was a historic season for Indiana football um, that his, his handprint, uh, his fingerprints will be all over, um, that interview was on ABC 30, he did on Tuesday, so, with this position, it is a little bit easier to talk about replacements, um, first a couple in-house names, we discussed this, um, I, I would say the two names right now that would be most probably heavily talked about would be um, Mike Hart and Grant yep. Hurd. Um, do either of those appeal to you at all in, in as offensive coordinators? I, I think that they both
0: have a wealth of experience. They both are familiar with You know, they both had a year of being position coaches in Kalen DeBoer's offense. And Tom Allen says that he wants to continue to run at least something similar moving forward. Um, So perhaps, you know, that makes those two a bit more interesting. Um, I think that Mike Hart is a guy that Hoosier fans should be worried about losing to, you know, a, a bigger school. Like, perhaps his alma mater eventually decides to come calling. Uh I think that there was a Notre Dame opening last off season that people were a bit worried about. Um that obviously didn't end up being where he went. He stayed with Indiana, but so maybe you're looking at them kind of because they have, you know, what You think that they would be good in the position. Maybe you're also kind of looking at them and saying, I can't afford to lose you. Uh, They've both been big on the recruiting trail. Um, They've both been, I don't think I've ever heard anybody say a bad word about either one of them. So I I think that those two, at least if you're looking in-house, those are your top two candidates. Uh, They're both solid. I, I don't think I would have a problem with either of them getting the promotion. Um, the only thing that I would note is that if you're going to promote one of them, then you're still going to be looking for a quarterbacks coach, because not only was Kalen DeBoer the offensive coordinator for the Hoosiers, he was also the Hoosiers' quarterbacks coach.
1: I was actually surprised when we talked about this that, uh, Mike Hart actually has the label as assistant head coach, mm-hmm. um, as well as the running backs coach. Uh, Grant Hurd is the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach uh both those are arguably the two best definitely the deepest but arguably the two best positions for this Indiana or I should say most talented positions for this Indiana football team um Mike Hart is the one that I am concerned about losing mm-hmm. uh especially to Michigan because it feels like a, a ticking time bomb when Michigan comes calling, um, we know how deep those ties often are with with big programs like that. So I don't know. I don't know if either are necessarily ready. It's a huge step up to be an offensive coordinator. Um, but like you said, I don't think I'd be upset with either. I'm getting the promotion. Um, if we're looking out of house, are there any names? that have jumped off the page to you or anybody you think that uh, we should look out for?
0: So I'm going to preface this by saying that I have absolutely no inside information about any of this. This is all me throwing some things against the wall. (laughs) Um, I talked to Michael Dugan, a friend of the pod. Uh, He was actually on our last episode, if you listened, if you didn't. You should, because Michael's fantastic. Um, An easy name to point out is Matt Canada. Uh, He's an IU alumnus. He worked here before on the coaching staff. He's been around and around. He's got experience. I don't think that he's necessarily a guy who brings a wow factor. Um, His style isn't terribly different from DeBoer's. Um, it, it shares some similar concepts. Um, so he's, if I had to make a, a quote-unquote realistic pick um, or a, a realistic candidate prediction, I would say Matt Canada. But um, other than him, there are a few names um, that uh, Michael and I talked about that you know kind of stood out to us. Like, you know, if we were in this position and we were looking for – you know an offensive coordinator for Indiana here are some names basically and they once again no idea if they would even be interested if they would even pick up the phone if they saw an Indiana area code um other than this first one uh first one uh there is a certain former beloved quarterback who has dipped his toes into the coaching world um Antoine Randall L has served as An offensive analyst for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Bruce Arians' staff. Uh, Arians, a former coach of his with the Steelers. Um, Even if it's just as the quarterback's coach, maybe you promote Mike Hart and you bring in Antoine as the quarterback's coach. I think that that's something that would create a lot of buzz. Um, Obviously, he's a guy who's very well-respected around these parts because he was basically football Jesus for a few years um, he's another one who I, I think that would be very interesting to look out for uh, realistically but not terribly realistically uh, just you know, kind of keep him on the mind that he's out there he's a thing that exists um, another one who has some Indiana ties not to IU per se but to the state is Clyde Christensen, who has worked for basically every football organization under the sun, it feels like, over the course of the last several decades. Currently serving as the Bucks quarterback's coach, um, once again on Bruce Arians' staff. Um, I don't know if he would like to come back to the college game. Um, I have no idea if he'd even be interested in working at IU, especially since he's getting, you know, he's working in the NFL, but... He's the guy with ties to the state who could coordinate the offense and probably do a decent job. Um, If you don't know Clyde Christensen, he was an assistant on the Tony Dungy staff uh, for the Colts, uh, among many other things. He has worked in college before. Um, Another name, um, and this is the very, very um, in vogue find literally anybody who has even been in the same room as Sean McVay trend. Um, And Zach Robinson is that guy. He's the quarterback's coach for the Rams. Um, He's probably smelled Sean McVay's hair before, so that qualifies him to be an offensive coordinator somewhere. Um, Maybe a few of the, maybe a few of Sean McVay's brain cells, like, you know, came over and like had a party with Zach Robinson or something. I don't, I don't know. But for some reason, that seems to be something that people like to do. So, hey, there's a Sean McVay guy for you. Um, and then last on the list that Michael and I compiled was somebody who Hoosier fans will remember as somebody who was on the other team. Uh, Mike Kafka, former Northwestern quarterback, probably, oh, God, 10 years ago maybe? Um, he is currently...
1: It's been a long It's been a
0: long time. Uh, he is currently the quarterbacks coach for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, obviously, that's an offense capital a, capital o. um he he's learned from Andy Reid, I'm sure. Um, so that's another guy who could certainly do something as a collegiate offensive coordinator. Um, no idea if he would be interested in Indiana, but that's kind of the, the short list that we created, once again, with absolutely no inside knowledge, no idea of what Indiana would be looking for in an offensive coordinator other than a good one, question mark. Um, but, yeah, Canada, Zach Robinson, Clyde Christensen, Antoine randall and Mike Kafka. That's the group that I came up with.
1: So... You mentioned the the two names I was going to bring up. Matt Canada, I suspect, is going to be pretty heavily linked to this opening. Um, he, for those that don't remember, uh, most recently he was the NRM head coach at Maryland. Um, he served as the offensive coordinator there. Um, he's been the offensive coordinator at LSU, Pittsburgh, NC State, Wisconsin, in Northern Illinois, he was at Indiana first as the QB and passing game coordinator in uh, 05 and 06, and then as the offensive coordinator um, and QB coach from 07 to 2010. Um, he is a, a alum, um, so that alone is going to tie him to this to this opening. So, I suspect his name will be mentioned a lot. I would be surprised if he didn't at least get a interview. Um, what I will say is that I have, a, I have maybe some, I don't want to say misguided confidence, but Tom Allen got this right once and got it really, really right um, with a guy that I'm not sure he had a whole lot of ties to. Um, so that gives me some confidence that he'll be able to do this again. Um, and find a guy I wouldn't be surprised he's had he's plucked a lot of old Miss guys before. I wouldn't be surprised if he maybe went to that well somebody that he has connections with there um I think rich rod's actually the offensive coordinator there right now. I don't know that that would happen or that it should happen, but that's a big name at least um so it' will be interesting to see uh whether they promote within whether they um bringing someone out of house. Uh, All I hope is that DeBoer is able to coach in the bowl game and uh, we can give him one big farewell and a big thank you for what has been a really fun, really memorable season. Um, Last thing on this half of the podcast, (laughs) this is pretty far down the list, but uh, it was National Signing Day, um, I believe on Tuesday. Uh, guys have been signing pretty much throughout the week, but um, not quite as many big names or, or big gets. Uh, 247 Sports as IU with one four-star prospect. I know you jotted down some stuff about some of these guys, so talk to me about some of the guys, the, uh, the recruits Tom Allen was able to land um, in this uh, upcoming class.
0: Well, this wasn't Tom Allen's best class at IU, and it didn't necessarily need to be. Um, over the last handful, well, the last two years, I guess, Allen and his staff have done a tremendous job of, you know, just putting together some of the best classes in IU history, frankly, and this class is still in the ballpark with Allen's previous ones, um, but not quite as much. Uh, the, the best place to start is with the crown jewel of the class, Rayshon Williams, from uh, Detroit, Michigan. He's a four-star receiver, and uh, frankly, I, I like him a lot. Uh, he was the number eight recruit in Michigan, number fifty-eight wide receiver. Um, he's six foot one, so he's got some size, not a whole bunch. Um, I, th- I think that he's his strength is that he's, he's in re- he, is that he's very versatile um his high school team used him you know as a guy who could take a top off of the defense um he would you know go deep he'd go up and get the ball he'd you know create separation from his db get open be a deep threat uh but he was also able to make catches in traffic he was able to make guys miss in the open field he was able to use his body despite the fact that he's not a 6'4 6'5 six, six, guy to create a window for the passer to get the ball into him on, you know, uh, curl routes, out routes, uh, you know, slants. He, he's kind of able to use his body to his advantage in those kinds of situations. So he's the clear, cl- the clear-cut number one player in the class. Um, I think that he's a guy who should be expected to uh, make some kind of impact next year. Maybe not early, but as the season goes on, and at some point in his career, I feel semi-confident in saying that he will be a threat for the Hoosiers on the outside. Um, outside of him, uh, the, the class is a little bit more subdued in terms of, you know, the, the ratings don't jump off of the screen at you. This isn't a Clemson class with, you know, six, five stars and everybody else is a four star. and That's not Indiana. That's not what the Hoosiers... Do. Um, If you want to look at it in terms of, you know, uh, all Indiana got one four-star and everybody else is a three-star and blah, blah, blah. The thing is, is that the Indianas of the world have to be able to bring in three-star players and develop them. A great example of that is the guy that we've talked about endlessly on this podcast, Watt Filliard. Um, in this class, there were only two players rated lower by four seven than WAP was. Uh, WAP was a three star. He had a uh, 0.8281 rating. Uh, there are only two guys in this class for the Hoosiers rated lower than that. Everybody else was rated higher. So I, I think that you know, in terms of that, sure you could be disappointed, but at the same time, there's still some players to be found. Um, There's plenty of in-state stars in this class. Um, The Hoosiers got four of the top 13 players from the state of Indiana. Uh, At number six, the number six player in the state of Indiana, Caleb Murphy, defensive end from West Washington in Campbellsburg. Uh, He is a guy who I, I think could have a pretty good college career. He missed his entire senior year more or less with an injury, but he comes from a good program that I know semi-well just from, you know, living in the area. And I, I think that he could be a future impact player. Then you've got David Baker, the number eight player in the state of Indiana from uh, Cecina. He's a receiver. Uh, he's another top Indiana guy. Then you, you've got uh, Luke Wigginton. He's the number 10 guy in, in the state of Indiana from Bishop Dwayne here in Fort Wayne. And then uh, number 13, you've got uh, Indiana State champion Ty Wise of the Carmel Greyhounds. He's a linebacker. He might move down to defensive end. Uh, another guy to watch out for there. Um, a, a big part of this class, however, d- despite, you know, the, the interesting names at receiver and defensive end and, you know, whatever, was the offensive line. Um, I, I, the Hoosiers very clearly put an emphasis on recruiting offensive linemen in this class, and I think that they got a handful of guys who are interesting, and if two or three of them turn into legit Big Ten offensive linemen, that's something to be excited about. Um, you look at, say, Luke Haggard. Uh, he's 6'7", 270. He's a junior college transfer, so he could be ready to come in and, you know, have a bit more of an advanced uh, learning curve than the typical freshman, so he's a guy to watch out for. He's absolutely enormous. He has an extra year under his belt. Um, I already mentioned Wigginton, who plays tackle. He's 6'5", 275. That's pretty good size. He comes in, and maybe he's just depth for a year, but... You know, he works into it. You've got Cameron Knight, Tyler Knight's brother from Noblesville. Um, he's another one who could eventually work his way into being, uh, at least a depth piece, which is, I mean, you've got, I've got six offensive linemen in this class that I noted, and I think there are a few more that I didn't write down, but, um, there's also Brady Feeney from Minnesota, not related to Dan. Um, important to note, I felt. But he's a guy who's 6'4", 285. You've also got Randy Holtz, 6'6", 342, from Fort Wayne. Uh, That's a big dude. And you've also got, um, a couple weeks ago, uh, the Hoosiers announced that Dylan Powell will join the program as a transfer from Stanford. He was a three-star recruit coming out of high school, 6'3", 281. Uh, He'll be eligible immediately, so he's a part of this class. More or less. So um, I think that when you look at just kind of all of the different pieces of this class, sure, it's rated 12th in the Big Ten, which it sounds awful. And if you want to, you know, talk about how bad that is, sure? Question mark. It's hard to get up into the upper echelon of the Big Ten because you're dealing with a lot of really good programs. I think it's better to look at this nationally. Uh, the Hoosiers cracked the top 50 nationally. They were ranked 49th by 247. I, I think that's a better measure of what how good this class is. Um, the average rating is an 0.8486 by 247. That's a bit lower than last year's class, but all in all, I, I think that's pretty solid. Um, that's a, a higher-grade three-star guy. Um, and that's the average player that the Hoosiers got this year. You, you, so all in all, I'm pretty okay, maybe a bit excited about this class. I, I think that Alan and his staff did it again, but in more of a low key way. It's a smaller class. There's not that much that jumps off the page about you, but I think that they've earned enough trust, enough good faith to, you know, kind of, I, I trust them. This, appears to be a good class, and I, I think that there are definitely some players to be excited about.
1: A couple things to, to note. You talked about it. I think there is a pretty clear focus on both lines in this draft class, which there should have been, um, given the struggles that both lines had at times this year. Um, when comparing this, I would also compare it relative to some of the previous classes. Even I IU's best class, or best couple of classes that Allen had the last couple of years, I don't think they got above maybe 10th in the Big Ten rankings. So if you want to look at it that way, it's a silly way to look at it. But um, even the, the, the really good classes for IU um, don't necessarily stack up in the Big Ten, but you really shouldn't probably even be looking at it in that regard. And one other name worth kind of mentioning, and he probably isn't going to do a lot at IU, but he's a he's a bigger name. For those that paid attention to Indiana high school football, you almost certainly heard of Charlie Spiegel for New Palestine, who absolutely obliterated every uh, rushing record. Um, He won a state title with New Palestine, back-to-back titles. This season alone he ran for 3,100 yards and 55 touchdowns. Um, For his career, four-year career, He ran for 10,867 yards and 173 rushing touchdowns. Um, He holds the record for career yards, touchdowns, and scoring in Indiana. He holds a lot of records that probably will never be broken, or at least not for a really long time. He accepted the spot as a preferred walk-on at Indiana. Like I said, you never really know. He's undersized, really small. Um... But the fact that he he landed with Indiana, probably going to be your Mr. Football. Um, be a bit different than in previous years, landing Mr. Football. But nonetheless, it's interesting that uh, to see him commit to the program. So, like you said, I, I trust Tom Allen and his staff here. They've definitely built up enough cachet that uh, I won't worry too much about the ranking or the rating. Um and will instead trust that they're able to find more of these kind of diamonds in the rough. So we're going to take a quick break, um, and then we'll come back and wrap this up talking about some basketball, both men's and women's. So we'll be right back after the break. So, uh, kind of indicative of the podcast we have, now we're going to talk about basketball after 45 minutes of talking about other things. Um, Both teams had multiple games since you and I last talked. Um, Last time you and I talked, Indiana was coming off a really big win and looked like they were going, the men's team that is, looked like they were going to be a lot of fun. And then went to Wisconsin and, shocker, totally uh, shat the bed, to be honest. And then the Jimmy V. Classic in Madison Square Garden was, oof, um, they won, but it was not pretty at all. Uh, And then they need overtime to beat Nebraska in their uh, Big Ten home opener. Big Ten is really odd this year in terms of home and away. Um, just a really odd season in general. I I a lot of people expected the Big Ten to be kind of weird this year, and but I don't think anybody expected this. So you have three games of kind of observations to take in. What do you What are your kind of takeaways from from these last three games for Indiana?
0: So for me. All of the, hey, IU might be good this year, train of thought, slash hype, slash whatever you want to call it, that came from beating the Brakes off of a ranked Florida State team, that all disappeared very quickly. Um, obviously, the Cole Center, not an easy place to play, but losing by 20 points and just being miserable overall. That Yikes. Um, did catch the UConn game, and that one, like you said, wasn't terribly fun to watch. I, I kind of came away from that game and needed to go to bed because I was tired. And it wasn't. I went just,
1: to bed during that game. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it, it wasn't. It wasn't <laughs> because
0: it was a late tip. It was because watching that basketball was exhausting mentally, emotionally, any kind of way. It was just yikes. Um, Nebraska needing overtime to beat a Nebraska team with eight players and blah, 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 looked bad at the time. Uh, Since then, Nebraska beat Purdue, but it's overall the last three games have left me feeling very blah about the program again, so... Um, I I think that a big part of those three games being very ugly, very not impressive, whatever you want to call it, has been Devontae Green kind of going back into his shell after coming out for the Florida State game. Um, He hasn't been playing terribly well. uh, A bit disappointing over the last two weeks or so, but I just... This program is exhausting, and the last three games have not been a great advertisement for the group.
1: This uh, this team right now feels like about any time they take a step forward or two steps forward, they take at least one step back. Um, it's a it's just a really odd team this year. Like you said, Devontae Green. Has the huge game against Florida State and then takes a step back and that's kind of a microcosm of what the last three games have been. Trace Jackson Davis remains just absolutely ridiculous as a freshman, just so much fun to watch. Um, we talked about it last time. I can't recall a player like him at IU in quite some time. Um, so much energy. So I knew he was going to come in and be impactful, but I. Did not expect him to be this impactful. Um, he is all over the place and just a ton of fun to watch. Outside of that, though, like you said, it's just kind of bleh right now. Um, Indiana, fortunately, or at least it seems fortunately, will head to the Crossroads Classic where they've had a lot of success Um Five and three all time there. They'll play Notre Dame, who they're three and one all time in the um, in the Crossroads Classic. It's a Notre Dame team that uh, Ken Palm has 66, which is just a little bit worse than UConn was. So on paper, it's a team Indiana should be able to handle. Um, they have slightly below average offense, slightly above average defense. Um, don't turn the ball over, but, uh, they go a lot quicker than Indiana does offensively, um, which a lot of teams do. Um, is there anything you're looking forward to for this, for this game? I mean, it's another chance for Indiana to get a resume building win, um, and probably, well, I guess they have the Arkansas game, so... Last two chances for them to get some resume building out of conference wins. Is that really the only big thing to to look for in this? Um,
0: sure. Uh, maybe another thing um, is it is it Rex Fluger who who played slash plays for Notre Dame. Yeah. It, is Rex Fluger in his 800th year at Notre Dame? <laughs> uh, that, that's my thing to watch. That's that's what I'm going to be looking out for.
1: Um, and Anna has had some memorable games against Notre Dame. Unfortunately, Jawan Morgan won't be there because he absolutely owned pretty much everybody in the Crossroads Classic. Um, and boy, I really miss watching him because he made even terrible teams like last year. Um, a lot of fun to watch. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's the big thing with that. They'll play Notre Dame on Saturday at noon, and then they'll be off for the holidays until the next Sunday. Um, which we will also almost certainly be off for the holidays until that next game. Arkansas's away, a ways away. Um, just a quick glance at them, they're 31st in Ken Palm, and would be the second best team Indiana's played, and they're just absolutely brutal schedule so far. Um, that's another one that resume building win, and honestly, just about every game from here on out, they only play one game against a non- top 100 Ken Palm team the rest of the way, and that's Nebraska, who they just needed overtime at home to win. So um, things are about to pick up, and we're about to find out, for better or for worse, a lot more about this Indiana team, and I fear that it might be the for worse more than it'll be the for better. Last thing is the women's basketball team, which honestly at this point should probably be the first thing, because this team continues to be absolutely incredible. They are up to number twelve, um, just continue to um, fly up the rankings. It's It was their highest ranking when they broke the top 20, I believe. so it's certainly their highest ranking now. And they have a really, really big game um, this weekend as they host number ten at UCLA um, on Sunday at noon. Um, before we look at that game, they, too, have had a lot of games since we last talked. But as we talked about then, weren't necessarily really challenged um, in any of those games. They beat Butler uh, 64-53 and then just uh-huh. ran the brakes off Youngstown State. Um, Any big takeaways from any of those games for the, the women's team?
0: Not in particular. I, I mean, like you said, they weren't. Terribly challenged. I, mean, Butler, I guess, Butler was a bit of an ugly win. Um, the score ended up, I mean, it was an 11-point difference. But for a while there, the Hoosiers just kind of didn't have it. And they still got away with an 11-point win because they were, frankly, better than Butler in almost every way. Just, I mean, more talented. Um, but overall, I mean, they just kept chugging. Those are games they're supposed to win. They want them. A bit of a break because, I I mean, they had just come off of playing number five, South Carolina, number two, Baylor, number 21, Miami, uh, and then Washington State as well in the mix there. So after playing that tough stretch, uh, it it was kind of nice for them, I'm sure, to get a bit of a break. And that's that's what they got. That's my takeaway. A bit of a break. Now it's back to the hard stuff.
1: Yeah, that Butler game, they actually shot 53%, but had 21 turnovers. Um, They held Butler to 30% shooting, but uh, the turnovers kept Butler in that game. Um, Fortunately, they were able to hang on. Um, So, yeah, the UCLA UCLA game, as of right now, is going to be IU's last game against a ranked team. Um, Regardless, it's a huge game. We could be talking potentially next time you and I talk about a top 10 Indiana Hoosiers women's basketball team. Um, This is a team that already has a top 10 win under its belt. They beat South Carolina. um, They beat Miami on the road. So um, it's never too early to talk resumes and getting a third top 25 win is, they have one at a neutral site, have one on the road. So you would think on paper um, they'd be good. Uh, they'd be favored maybe heading into this. But it'll be interesting to see. The really big news with women's basketball, though, as it came out uh, Wednesday night as we are recording this, Terry Morin uh, secretly, basically, signed a uh, an extension that nobody announced and nobody really talked about. Uh, it was uncovered i guess um by the herald times on wednesday um they gained a copy of her contract and she signed a six-year extension to stay in bloomington until 2023 um how big of a deal is that for this uh, women's basketball program
0: i think it's huge um i mean if i remember correctly that was signed, that extension was signed after the WNIT championship. Yeah, and
1: 2017.
0: Yeah, so that's basically locked in a really, really, really good coach who's done such a tremendous job of building his program up for the you know near future and a little bit into the distant future. So I, I think that that's fantastic. Um, an interesting note: We were talking about this before we started recording, but um, as a part of that extension, there's a, a clause where there's a $10 million buyout if Purdue comes calling. <laughs> Terry Moore, and famously uh, a Purdue alumna, and uh, Fred Glass put a little uh, put a little something in the uh, the language that uh, stopped a well might stop a potential Terry Morin to Purdue move. So and all in all I think that it's, it's really good. Um, Terry Morin should be the coach for a long time. Uh, I don't see any reason at the present moment to question that. So it's good that the extension got signed. I'm just I was a bit intrigued by the fact that it took us two years to find out about it.
1: Yeah, that's really odd, especially considering how well they're doing. I guess it got to the point where you don't really want to like announce, "Hey, we signed her to an extension two years ago." Um, but you would think, with all the positive momentum they have right now, um, that'd be a, another good thing to announce. But nonetheless, it's out there. Um, like you said, a hilariously petty buyout—ten million dollar buyout clause—if Purdue wants uh wants her, which. I don't think there are many programs not named UConn that would pay a $10 million buyout clause for a women's basketball coach. Um, So (laughs) she is not going to Purdue, I guess, would be uh, the way to put that. And if she does, Indiana is rolling in the dough and can go get just about anybody at once after that. Um, There's a lot of other clauses in there. um, But as you said, the big thing is she's saying... She's already the second winningest coach in the program's history. She might already have staked the claim as the best coach in the program's history, considering what she's doing this year, what she's done in the past couple of years, the women's nit, which we mentioned. So, um, huge, huge news. That yeah, I'm really surprised Indiana kind of buried, especially like you said when she signed it. They just won the women's nit, which I guess to some schools isn't. Uh, isn't a big deal, but for Indiana women's basketball, that was. So it's a little odd that they chose not to announce it. I don't know if there's something else that was going on at the time or or whatnot. But regardless, she's around. It's huge news. Um, that UCLA game that we mentioned, number 10 UCLA, will be on BTN at noon. So 100% tune into that. If you're not going to the game, tickets, I think, are $7.00. Uh, you should absolutely be at that game on Sunday um, You're not probably There's not going to be many times You're going to be able to watch a top 15 showdown For women's uh, basketball at IU So take advantage of it um, Go watch that game Fill that place up And, and give this team that continues to uh, be really impressive um, a, a, a fan base Uh, To get behind them So That will do it for us I know this was one of our longer episodes There was a lot to talk about Um, Anybody still listening We appreciate you guys sticking around Um, Like I said at the beginning Leave a rating, review, subscribe All that stuff if you haven't already Which If you're listening at this point You probably have But spread the word Uh, Tell people About the podcast Um It really helps us. We we appreciate all the support you guys have given in our first year, and uh, it's been a lot of fun, and and we'll continue doing it. But um, other than that, wish everybody listening a happy holidays. And for Austin, this is Jacob signing off. Have a good one, everyone.